This is the I Read Comic Books podcast, and I am your host for this week, Paul Jaisley, filling in for Mike Rappin, but those shoes are too large to fill on my own, so I'm joined by two of my favorite comic book friends, my super friends, if you will, <laughs> Kate Scotchless. Hello. And Nick White. Hey. Uh, glad you guys could join me today. Uh, I'm excited for this conversation we're going to have. But before we get to the brass tacks, we'll start the way we always do on the show and ask Nick, how was your week? How have comics been? Uh, both have been really great. You know, the weather's been a lot better, which means I sometimes go outside. Not frequently. I'm not going <laughs> to sit here in line and be like, oh, yeah, walks all the time, kayaking, jogging. No, none of that. <laughs> That's stupid. Why would I do that? Um, but in terms of comics, I after a three, um, three weeks, I finally managed to go get my books. Uh, yesterday, I didn't get a lot of time to read them, so my remaining list is very weird. Um, and kind of all over the place, but that seems to be, uh, I guess, just sort of a nice allegory for me as an individual. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's 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 delve into some of that, I suppose. Um, <clears throat> I read Hellblazer number seven. This, of course, is the book that in recent weeks, Mr. Mike Rappin has said that he is done with. Uh, and I can't totally fault him. Um, the arc that's currently going on just doesn't work. It's not engaging. No one cares about Jin, you know, the whole, like, genie thing, you know, mm-hmm. DJNN, DJINN, whichever. Um, it's going on for way too long. It doesn't work. The artists are switching all over the place. The most recent artist, this is the real tragedy in Seven, Philip Tan shows up, delivers a very kind of manga East Meast east meets west kind of hybrid style Mm -hmm. and it's interesting i'm not going to say it's great but it is interesting and then the real tragedy was you know this is how it works when you get a book that's jumping all over the place you just start getting anxiety and then you go into the solicits and you're like is this guy going to be around next week like please i need some consistency and it's like nope yeah he's gone this wouldn't be such a big deal except like i one of the things that i really loved about rebirth is they're like This is the book. These two artists are on the book. They're going to be switching back and forth. Maybe there's a third guy, but it's going to be consistent, and there's going to be some quality control. And this book doesn't seem to really be possessing that. Hmm. What are you going to do? Now, there's two Tans. There's Philip Tan, and there's another one. I can't remember which one I like. Billy Tan. I think there's Billy. (laughs) Billy Tan. Is the other one. Billy's done a lot of Green Lantern. Um, Okay. And Philip, I think, is also done... Green Lantern. Hmm. Billy worked a lot with Venditti after Jeff Johns left Green Lantern. Oh, okay. So I don't know if I was reading at that point. No, I mean, if if Venditti's run was not fun. I mean, it's so weird to see a writer work so well on other books and then just totally, (laughs) ugh. Jeff Johns, Green Lantern. If you haven't read it, read it. It's over the top. (laughs) It's the world will end any moment. Big, bombastic fun. Just go read it. Everything, everybody that everyone says... Everything that everyone says about Jeff Johns being, like, it's it's not true. He's great sometimes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's a pull quote for you, Jeff Johns. Put that on your omnibus. Nick White, yeah. he's great sometimes, most of the time, usually. Read this book. <laughs> How much coffee have I had? Great question. I finally read Archer and Armstrong, number 12. This is the last book in this run, which is called A&A. Um, Yes, it did come out a couple months ago. Yes, I just sort of sat on it because I haven't enjoyed it. 
Yes, I did read 12 issues of a book that I really never thoroughly enjoyed that much. Yes, it happened. <laughs> it, it just resoundingly fails on so many levels. The humor doesn't work. It just clunks all over the place. This whole stupid Freaky Friday situation they've been doing with the body swapping for the last six or seven issues continues to drag on. The action is always cluttered. There's way too many word panels, like word bubbles, all over the place, it just clutters it. They don't let the action do its thing. Um, the only real positive here is that there are two little epilogues. Well, there's three epilogues. Two of them are drawn by Mark Laming. One of them is drawn by Joe Izema, and those were okay. Those were okay, but that's <laughs> like that's like a very thin silver lining. Uh, what else? Uh, Old Guard Two. Let's talk about that real quick here. Old Guard 1 did a lot of things that a really good number one issue should do, but I don't think we focus enough on the idea of what a number two issue should deliver, and or at least what I come to expect from a good number two. Um, and I think this issue handles it really, really well, which is it takes a clear-cut premise, a very simple kernel of an idea that's put out in issue one, and it says, okay, you've processed that, you understand how that works, we've given you time to really get how that operates. Now let's go ahead and let's twist that a little bit and let's take what few things you felt kind of certain about and felt like you were really um, you know, on top of this and just shuffle it up a bit to the point that you're like, oh man, you know, this this really does get jumbled up a bit. And of course with Old Guard, you've got this whole idea of immortal warriors, they've been around for hundreds, some of them for thousands of years. Uh, they now function as mercenaries while trying to keep their immortal status hidden from the public at large um, for all sorts of varied reasons. And in this issue, um, minor spoilers, but I think in terms of, in the interest of drawing people to this book, I think it is a real interesting point is you realize that maybe they're not quite as immortal as you think. If you were to answer the question, well, are they immortal? I think the answer would be yes, but no, but maybe sometimes. Uh, <laughs> sometimes immortal, immortal until they're not. Yeah, they're yeah, like, we don't live for yeah, an arbitrary number aren't. of yeah, 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 thousands of years, who knows how long. And then one time it just doesn't work. <laughs> right, right. And then the question, of course, is, well, why? Is is it a purely age thing? Well, no, it's not. Uh, you know, you, you end up dying of something that would normally not kill you, except now it does kill you. But why is that? So there's a lot of mystery there. I think it was a great twist. I think it adds a sense of danger to the book, a sense of uncertainty to the book. It was a great, great move by Rucka. I think this was a nice, nice pivot for this book. One or two other things briefly. I did read Rebels, colon, These Free and Independent States, number one. We'll talk more about miniseries later, but I think this is a very interesting one by Brian Wood with Andrea Moody on art. Of course, this is the main team for the original 10-issue Rebels series, which I think ran during 14 and 15, uh, which of course was about the Revolutionary War. Uh, that series largely followed um, Seth Abbott for about the first five issues um, as one of the Green Green Mountain Boys with Ethan Allen. So it was sort of a slightly different part of the Revolutionary War than most people are well-versed in. And of course, it's the Revolutionary War, which I feel like, generally speaking, like you want to talk about a war or wars that get discussed or adapted or, or you know brought into you know modern media a lot. It's World War II and the Civil War. And everything else is kind of like 
you know, well, that happened too. So it's, I feel like it's an interesting topic in that regard. And this new arc, these free and independent states, takes place in the 1790s and follows the main character of the first one's son as America starts to try to decide or figure out if it's going to have a navy, how it's going to raise the money for the navy, because of course you have all these pirates and mercenaries that are killing all of the American trader ships. So it's history, it's learning, it's fun, it looks great. Uh, I, I really like it, and I would definitely recommend The Main Rebels to anyone who's looking for a new book. Hmm. Um, it's it's I really like it. Last thing, real quick, I read Aliens Outbreak. This is the 1988 Dark Horse comic. Uh, it's the first one... Um, to exist other than the direct adaptations of the first and second movies themselves. I think both did. I know the first one had Archie Goodwin writing one for Alien. I don't remember. I think Aliens <laughs> had one as well. Um, and it's a really interesting offering because it's one of these, I think it's one of these first times where you actually had a comic book attempting to carry on the story of a movie um, in, in comic book form because, like, I think there were, I think there was... Aliens was like 86, Alien to the Third Power, as I call it, was like 92. So there was this huge gap, and so they decided they were going to tell a story. And uh, then, of course, Aliens 3 invalidated some of it. And I didn't even know this, because they went ahead and they changed some of the names in every comic following the original printing to make this story canon. Hmm. Uh, so, yeah, very weird. Um very interesting. I read the original colored version. Um, sorry, the 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 uh, the digital colored version. Um, but I recently bought the black and white because I'm stupid and I'll be reading <laughs> that soon. So that's that's those are some of the things I read. Um, yeah. What about what about you, Kate? I haven't done a ton of reading this week. I uh, managed to finish off the first arc of Doctor Aphra though, with issues five and six, which. It was delightful. This is the Kieran Gillen and Kev Walker book. I don't want to spoil anything, and I feel like much, much talk about what happens in 5 and 6 gets real spoily, but mm -hmm. it, it warmed my uh, cold, dead heart that <laughs> Dr. Aphra is still a baddie. Um, in, in the end, after all the you know warm, fuzzy, come, come to Jesus stuff, it's like, oh yeah, she's still, she's still our beloved anti-hero. So, <laughs> not even anti-hero, she's really just a villain. I don't know. There, there's a the discussion there. Can you read this without having read all of Darth Vader, or is that borderline a prerequisite? No, you can definitely jump in with number one. Okay. There's there's references back to stuff that happened in Darth Vader, especially the last arc sure. where he attempts. Well, never mind. Um, yeah. Spoilers, but anyway. <laughs> Ooh. So yeah, if you if you have if you have four four arcs of uh, uh, Darth Vader in you, you should totally go read it because it's great. But if you don't feel like it, you don't need to. Okay. I think the the big thing that I'd be like, oh, this really wouldn't work is if you have no Star Wars universe <laughs> knowledge at all. It'd yeah, get which, real confusing. In which case, what are you doing? Lots of get the hell out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Nick, comics so, are for everyone. Shut up. <laughs> These ones aren't well, for you. <laughs> no, that's when you hand them the movie, the comic adaptation of the movie, and you're like, start here, honey. Mm -hmm. So then... I also read Batman number 21, 
which I was excited for. And I don't think I've ever been excited for a tie-in before. A good <laughs> good part of that was, or crossover event, I guess is what I mean. But a good part of that was, okay, Finch is off art. We get Fabric now. Hooray. Um, I was hoping this was going to, from like all the blurbs, it sounded like this was going to be like a mystery to solve, like a, my good favorite detective-y type Batman versus the punchy, sluggy <laughs> type Batman. And then this this issue was 99% punching, and I was so disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> was it well-drawn punching? Oh, yeah. But I'm like, wait, what? No. I guess I should have thought about so, that more. Fabic is definitely yeah. an action artist. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's that's fine. It's just like I was like I hyped it as this big like solving this mystery together, and then like I would say all but four of the pages are just a slugfest between I don't know what it is it backwards flash or something the yellow Ruth. one. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's it. yes backwards yeah. flash you nailed it <laughs> it's it's reverse no, flash it's flash. reverse flash okay. kate get out I, no. I was so close i was so close i'm not a dc person and kate, i've never kate, read the flash. flash universe is like the goofiest part of the dc universe and that's saying something so don't worry I... you don't need to know any of paul's like actually you should know all of them no <laughs> kara's description of the rogues gallery made me want to read it because it sounds so hilarious but other other than that i was like <laughs> okay, like I just I really like the idea of a clubhouse of villains. Just like gotta figure out how the to do ropes, this. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But anyway, so that was uh, disappointing. Was it disappointing enough that I'm not gonna keep buying this event thing all month? Oh, probably not. Um, <laughs> I I think I'm to the point with this um, series though, where it's definitely a more actiony type Batman. And I feel like I'm just on the wrong Batman book and I need to figure out which one of them is more doing detective-y mystery solving type Batman stuff the same way that like Court of Owls was. I really like yeah. that style Batman and jump on that. And off of, even though I love Tom King with all my heart there, you know how there's <laughs> different flavors of Batman. And I think this is just not the flavor for me. Interesting. I think King has definitely shown and written a more meditative Batman. Certainly, I Am Suicide would be proof of that. Um, I think we're just not there right now. Right. And this right. is sort of something I think even Paul and I have discussed before, where it's sort of that interesting negotiation for writers of realizing that they might want to tell something that's less crowd appealing that's less crowd pleasing but it's you know when you're on such a huge book you've got to find that <laughs> middle ground of hitting the sweet spot for like right. all around readers and then hitting the sweet spot for maybe more i don't know niche slash literary slash uh snooty uppity types like myself and, okay. and yourself hold, and hold <laughs> up and jacely <laughs> <laughs> I definitely like my favorite um, King books though what makes me um, has made me his fan in the past are books like uh, Sheriff of Babylon and Vision which are definitely very thinking about the world and how the world works and the meaning of <laughs> humanity and how people relate to one another and that kind of stuff and he's brought that to Batman to a degree like there's definitely those re mm -hmm. reflective parts but they tend to be like five pages in an arc of you know five issues so I feel like what I'm hearing well, is like that we you're getting what that, you want, the, and you're still not, you're still not. Happy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like well, like the entire I am Bane arc, 
you got that in the last issue of that, but the entire arc leading up to that. So I'm like, wow, the conclusion was great. Everything else, though, I wasn't super into. So that's what I mean. It's like maybe I just need to read his other books and switch to the Batman book that is the flavor of Batman that I like. And I'm sure there's one out there. I'm I'm kind of wondering if Detective Comics is the one right now. I have to prod you you nerd friends to see who's who's reading what. <laughs> yeah, and if nothing yeah. else, Batwoman is currently in mystery solving mode. So there you go. I was just going to say that that might be your Batman flavor of choice is Batwoman oh, because that's kind of doing that. Really it's pretty It great. really is. And it's it has great. beautiful art. So yeah. that wasn't going to be the book I talked extensively about. What I was going to talk extensively about was X-Men Blue number one because freaking Mike made it sound so good on the podcast. I wasn't planning. Like I had this all budgeted out. I was only going to try <laughs> X-Men Gold and Jean Grey. And there's like a billion X books out com- or coming out rather. And so I'm like, no, I'm just going to do these two because I don't have infinite resources and we have to be reasonable and these things are like five dollars a pop and then it happened you know that the (laughs) the ability to buy comics from my bed on my ipad has just ruined my budget but um yeah so i need a thing on my computer where it's just a breathalyzer and if i breathe in a certain level they won't (laughs) let me go to comicsology it's like you're sober you can't go to comicsology either a a time stamp like is it is it past 9 p.m no buying comics mike was right it's great this is the colin bunn one with jorge molina and mateo i'm gonna butcher this buffa genie on pencils and then colors by matt miller it's the team of Marvel Girl, Cyclops, Angel, Beast, and Iceman, the original five that got brought into the f- present, which is their future, by Beast. <laughs> because every uh, X-Men's yeah, ridiculous. But- yeah. And so now they're working for Magneto, which will definitely go super well. You can tell because he's drawn like a scary villain. And they're like, what do we do next, Pops? You know, <laughs> like, you're like, oh... Um, there's lots of teases about they're going to bring on more X-Men onto this team, um, specifically hinting at more female characters, which hooray, because original team is a little uh, male heavy. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. it's looking like it's going to be cool. It's a very stylized art that in the previews I wasn't too into, which is why it didn't catch my eyes, eye as much as some of the others. It looks kind of more like a younger teen style book. And it, it probably is, but it works really well for the tone of the book. The, you know how the, sometimes the art and writing match so well that you're like, oh, I wouldn't otherwise have liked this art, but this mm-hmm. works really, really perfectly. And that's, that's where I'm at with this book. So, I mean, sacrifice all your budget, go buy all these books, as I guess, the moral <laughs> oh, of the story. God. So <laughs> sure. Mar- okay. Marvel's just salivating at the mouth, like, yes, come to Papa. <laughs> okay. So how about you, Paul? Have you been financially uh, wise? Uh, well, you. Th- we are recording the day after Record Store Day, so in that <laughs> respect, no. As far as comics, I was, did, did pretty well this week. That's a different story. Um, I also read Batman number 21, and I guess just a few brief thoughts uh, from my perspective. I really like the long game that Tom King is playing here because this is a sort of crossover with Flash, which is going to deal with the Watchmen you know, element that's now part of the DC continuity. Mm -hmm. And the fact that in issue one of his Batman run, he introduces the psycho pirate as part of the story. Now that sort of makes sense because the psycho pirate has this weird connection to the multiverse and all this. So it, it, 
it is sort of this long game that I'm really enjoying. As far as the artwork goes, I, I appreciate Jason Fabic's attempt to recreate the Watchmen nine panel grid on each yeah. page. The problem is that That's it, it not doesn't his really, style. This, this, yeah, yeah, and the story doesn't really justify it. It just feels like there's too many panels on the page at points. And there's like one point where you get the same panel repeated five times, and like that never happens in Watchmen. Yeah, like Dave Gibbons does something very different with that grid. So, I, I like the ideas of the story. I just the execution kind of failed for me. But I'm like as like Kate said, I'm intrigued enough to get the rest of the crossover. I just picked that up, so I haven't read it yet. But that's okay. I didn't even think I, I remember them saying something about that they were going to have Fabic sort of you know doing some homage stuff to Watchmen, but that's just so weird for him because he is so good at like big splash pages or like two panal pages you know yeah you can't oh, you I, can't hold him down yeah. <laughs> what i found really funny with it was like it's this big like countdown clock right until flash right. gets there and i'm like that doesn't have the same impact when you know batman's not gonna get you know knocked off in this issue and then not be here for the rest of the crossover <laughs> event like clearly yeah. he's gonna show up and be fine so <laughs> I will say, Paul, you did bring up a really interesting point that I hadn't thought about before, which is just the idea that King's run, like, it doesn't have those sort of um, delineations between arcs where you feel like there's a little bit of a clean break. Like, there are arcs, but it is just a big arc overall when you think about it. Yeah, Yeah, like, issue 20 was definitely like, oh, this is going all the way back to issue one, and... I'm still waiting for that Legion of Superheroes reference in what issue one or two to come back. Remember when that like Saturn girl from Legion of Superheroes? Yeah, yeah, that, showed up in I, Arkham, I think. Yeah, I won't spoil anything, but oh, that's anyway. been that's been addressed <laughs> in issue twenty-one. Oh, slightly, slightly. Okay. There's a reference to it. Okay, yeah, it's there. So, um, <laughs> speaking of Batman, I also read All Star Batman number nine uh, by Scott Snyder and art by Jock. This is the conclusion of the Ends of the Earth story. And actually, Kate, this might be a good Batman book for you because this this story arc, the Ends of the Earth, was a lot of heavy detective work, I thought. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, I thought this concluding chapter was a little bit underwhelming. It kind of fell flat for me, yeah. mainly because of Jock's art, which Oof. just did not work for me. It just, yeah, anyway. I haven't read it yet, but I think you're wrong. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I have issues with him. Some stuff he does really well, and this does not. I feel like Jack is one of those people you're not allowed to say you don't like. Yeah. yeah. Well, I just said it. So I'm yeah, saying yeah. it right here. So, um. <laughs> Paul's like, oh, I, I went there. <laughs> you know he wasn't supposed to draw this, right, Paul? It Well, it kind of feels rushed, so yeah. that probably doesn't, shouldn't surprise me too much. Afua or Afua or however you say her name, Richardson, was supposed to draw this, and she was on this book until, like, right. I think literally like a month before, and then she dislocated her shoulder, so. Oh, no. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think Jock got thrown on this real quick. Yeah. Well, I, I guess that shouldn't, that might explain some of the choices he made on this. Mm. I don't know. I have problems with his work Anyway, which brings me to another book I read this week. (laughs) I read Witches Volume 1 by Scott Snyder and Jock. There's those names again. Um, And I don't know what if I was just not expecting this, because I kind of wanted just a a traditional horror comic, but this just did not work for me. It wasn't a bad comic. There were some parts I liked, but overall, it just never clicked for me. 
I don't quite understand what all the hubbub was about about it. Um, and again, Jock's art was utterly confusing at points. So mm. maybe, oh. maybe I, maybe I'm just a bad comic book fan. <laughs> Quick disclaimer for our <laughs> listeners: uh, in no way does Paul's opinion reflect the opinions of I read comic books and its affiliates. <laughs> sure. Uh, <laughs> Are you excited I, for I the next know. arc, Paul? I think it's um, I think it's starting with um. I think it's Franca Villa is going to be taking over, maybe for at least a little bit. You like I don't his think work, I'll be or? reading. I don't think I'll be reading another witches volume. So. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay. I'm talking about All Star. All Star. Um, oh, Franca Villa is moving on to. I think he's going to be the next artist. Well, yeah, All Star. I'm going to read Batman books, of course. But <laughs> I don't know about that. I don't know about this witches stuff. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, shots fired. <laughs> Oh my and gosh! See, anyway, which is so good yeah. because it has this like protagonist or heroine rather that like has like serious mental health issues with their anxiety, and yet is also super strong. And you almost never see that where someone is deeply has deep problems and is also yeah. like mental health problems and is also super strong and not portrayed as needing you know to be rescued, especially for a female character. Well, I I I, I will say that the first couple of issues I did like more than the conclusion. I think the last issue in this volume, or last two issues, kind of ruined ruined it for me. They fell really flat to, for me um, because they're all about her dad. She well, wasn't on the yeah. book. She hardly shows up in the last two issues. So mm. yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe it's not, I, if well, she should have been more But part. I think it's into that whole issue of like, how do you parent a kid with these issues and how, where's the boundary? And especially in not just with issues, but with like growing up and trying to do the right thing when there is no right thing. And Paul, Paul, just read it again until you love it. Just over and over until you agree. (laughs) Okay. I mean, all right. No book is for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think Jock's art doesn't always work for all of that book i think that's the one thing between like the like woodsy scary shit and like the more domestic stuff i don't know i think there are parts where jocks art i don't know like the sort just the normal domestic stuff at home it seemed a little not as much in his wheelhouse or like the art you know like it was sort oh, of like he's messy be- he's and, definitely better and with distorted the supernaturally in certain stuff. ways yeah and like with yeah. the domestic stuff it was kind of like why does it feel like and i get that maybe it's supposed to be just constantly building tension all the time but sometimes it would distort some of the more like mundane everyday panels and it would be like you it doesn't need to be this way geez nick are you advocating for like image series (laughs) with multiple artists for different parts that's way too demanding well sometimes i've gotten that i guess i've been spoiled um (laughs) (laughs) if you give a mouse a cookie yeah black Mm -hmm. mirror everyone um (laughs) that okay yeah so that's one example of jock's artwork that worked for me but final book i'll talk about very briefly because I love it unconditionally, is Cave Carson has a cybernetic eye. <laughs> yep. <laughs> issue number seven was fantastic. Might have been the best issue of the run so far for me. Uh, Gerard Way and John Rivera writing art by Michael Avon Oming. This is the issue where Superman shows up and it's supposed to be Cave remembering his the time that he saved Superman. But it turns out that's not exactly what happens in this issue. There's a great sort of twist that happens. Ooh. A big cliffhanger at the end to wrap up this first arc of the story. If you're not reading this book, I highly, highly recommend picking up the trade when it eventually comes out. I, I think it's one of the best books DC's doing right now. And yeah, part of it's just because I like saying the name, Cave Carson is a cybernetic guy, but it's also a fantastic book. 
Excellent, excellent. I just yes, read four. Yes. Love that book. Love that book. Wild Dog is the best end of end of story. <laughs> <laughs> period. Yes, yes. Wild Dog, man. Who'd have known in 2017? It's Wild the Dog, Wild my Dog. favorite character. <laughs> 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 so that's what we read this past week. Uh, but this upcoming week, this week, comic books will arrive in your comic book store on Wednesday. That's the 26th of April. And we're excited for some books. So we'll start with Kate. Kate, is there a particular book you're excited for this week? Yeah, I'm looking forward to Old Guard number three. Uh, as Nick was talking about, this is the one by Greg Rucka and Leandro Fernandez. And uh, like Nick, n- issue two hit every perfect beat for me and was a r- it just keeps getting better. I mean, which isn't, I shouldn't say it's not that hard. Going from issue one to two can be hard, but like it, so far, each issue is better than the last. So hopefully we keep the momentum going, right? Um, mm-hmm. It just keeps building them it's like you get one answer and two more mis- mystery or questions spring up out of that kind of thing so like nick was mm-hmm, saying with mm-hmm. the um oh are they immortal but well not really but also they are and what causes and so like all these things <laughs> and so now we have our new member who was they just found and they're like going off to find her was endangering them because they really need to keep moving and so I'm sure exciting, cool things will happen. And the art on this book is weird and interesting, and the layouts are cool. Just everything about this book is different, and I really like that. Boy, I will have to check this out. For some reason, I completely missed the boat on this book, even though I kind of follow Greg Rucka's stuff. I completely What's, have my no shop idea what this, is like, hey, yeah. a Rucka book is out. Did you hear? And I'm like, why are you saying this to me as I pick up like all my Rucka books? Don't <laughs> presume <laughs> to know me. That's but right. yes, buy all the covers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. The art's a lot okay. like Eduardo Riso, Paul. So you're, I don't know how oh, you okay. feel about oh. Riso. I, I enjoy that. So I, I, yeah, I'll have to check this out. I'll, I'll get caught up and share my thoughts. Okay. Uh, Nick. What are you going to pick up this week? Well, uh, as books come out on 426 and Aliens Day is 426 uh, for <laughs> um, the planet LV426 from Aliens the movie. Surprise. Um, I guess it's only appropriate that um, Dark Horse is putting out Aliens Dead Orbit. It's a miniseries. It's going to be four issues. This will be the first of them. Uh, and it's by James Stokoe who is perhaps best known for some people uh, for doing his series Orkstain. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't really read that, but I'm more familiar with some of his Godzilla work. I think he did a Godzilla miniseries with John Lehman um, yeah. about, like, it was, like, Godzilla versus, like, the uh, the Yakuza or... Um, yeah, or or the triad, <laughs> something like that. It involves, I think it's called Gangsters and Godzilla, but he did that, um, and he also did the first issue of Godzilla and Hell, which is where I'm most familiar with him. Um, but, you know, the plot is pretty simple. Uh, there's an accident on a space station, and an engineering officer must use his wits to survive an attack <laughs> from the deadliest thing known to man. No, I'm not talking about <laughs> IBM's, IBM's Watson, which is the deadliest thing known to man. Someone needs to shut that thing down. It wins Jeopardy all the time. People are getting bored. Uh, and eventually it will become Skynet. So look, everyone yeah. in 70 years, uh, Nick White warned you about Watson. Uh, first it wins Jeopardy, uh, then it shoots off ballistic missiles, interco- intercontinental ballistic missiles. So uh, you were warned. Um, I, for one, accept our robot overlords yeah. with open <laughs> yeah. uh, titanium Go ahead, arms. Kate. Here's your chance to suck up before they show up. <laughs> yeah, thank you. 
Uh, so there you go. Kate, Kate Scotchless, uh, humanoid traitor. Um, <laughs> I just want really like a cyborg. About, yeah. <laughs> what I really like about this plot is, yeah, it does sound very derivative. It does sound very simple. But um, they asked Stoko about this. Um, and he, he said, I just want uh, about what he wants this book to be. And he said, I just want it to look good. I found that the best alien stories are always really simple plots with nice looking dressing. So I'm aiming for that. And you know what? In some ways, he's not wrong. Brian Wood is definitely <laughs> telling a very different sort of alien story right now. But um, Stoko is definitely right that some of the some of the better ones are, and he knows he's more of an artist, I think, than a writer, are, like, very stylized, creepy stuff. And he's got a really interesting, again, sort of an East meets West hybrid aesthetic that has a little bit of a woodblock feel to it. So, mm-hmm. very excited for that. That sounds interesting. I, I really like James Stokoe's art. It's just so insanely detailed. So, the yeah, idea of yeah, drawing yeah. the alien sounds really, really exciting. So, like when he draws like a cloud of smoke, it's got all of these little intricately <laughs> inked like tendrils coming out of it. And you're like, what did that take? Like seven hours? Like, are you insane? <laughs> <laughs> I'll, have to, I'll have to look at find out where it, where it came from. But there's an image that he did of Galactus that's like huge, this drawing Galactus, and it's got probably a million different pencil lines on it. It's just so insanely detailed. Yeah. Uh, it, it's mind-blowing. Anyway. Yeah, I don't even want to know what a commission costs from James Stokoe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, that'll be ready in four months. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, my pick this week is Doom Patrol number six, finally coming out. Doom Patrol is a book that's been running incredibly late, but I don't mind because it's a really great comic book. And Gerard Way is clearly you know, styling the book after the Grant Morrison Doom Patrol, which, of course, if you're going to do a Doom Patrol book, you're coming after that book. And it is, as I've said on this podcast, probably my favorite comic book of all time. But I like what Gerard Way is doing is sort of slowly building the team back up around a new member. So you have this hmm. new member to the team, and she's being basically indoctrinated into the Doom Patrol on this first story arc. So issue six is in the conclusion of the arc. They finally get all the members of the Doom Patrol together, except, of course, uh, Niles Calder, who I'm sure will show up at some point in this issue. It's weird. It's mind-bending. It kind of doesn't make a lot of sense at times, but that's the point of a Doom Patrol book. You're just supposed to go along for the ride and hopefully have your mind expand a little bit. And hmm. Nick Darrington's art is fantastic. I, I absolutely love his artwork. I'm surprised I've never seen his stuff before. It's tight and a slightly cartoonish, but it's got a great sense of action. The colors are beautiful in this book. This is a book that I think, again, much like Cave Carson, if you're not picking it up, it might be worth picking up the first trade just because it might be something out of your wheelhouse that might surprise you. Definitely, definitely. Um I am curious about that book. I'll, so um, I'll, I'll quick ask this. Uh, yeah. So I know that the main character was what, like an ambulance driver, like the new one. Yeah. She's like an ambulance mm-hmm. driver. I know some people for the first early on were like, "Is there anything weird about her?" Like, because she seemed pretty normal at the beginning. Did they ever actually unfold that, I, or are you just going to tell me I need to go read the stupid book now? Uh, yeah, because I don't want to spoil it. Okay, it, that's um, fair. <laughs> The the twist, I think it's issue three, is where you Ooh. finally get her backstory. Okay. And it is not what I expected at all. It completely changes the tone of the book and her as a character. It's really great. So 
yeah, if you're not familiar with the Grant Morrison Doom Patrol, I think you I mean you owe it to yourself to read it because it is, like I said, one of the greatest comics of all time. How much is that, Paul? That's like three omnibuses, <laughs> isn't it? Like, come on, yeah, don't like, don't yeah, ignore yeah, it's this like fact. Six volumes. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Get it, from the, get it from the library. Come on. Yeah. You can find it. So. We talked about that. I can't <laughs> go there anymore. <laughs> this week on the show, we wanted to talk about a somewhat specific topic and one that probably would garner a much larger conversation, but we're going to try to focus it this week. We're going to talk about miniseries and specifically the purpose that they serve in the market today and some of our favorite miniseries to talk about. Now, like I said, there's a larger topic here that we could be discussing, which how do we define a miniseries or the difference between a miniseries and maxi series, or do event comics count as miniseries? We're not going to talk about any of that. We're going to deal with a very specific definition of miniseries, which is a comic book with 12 issues or less, somewhat arbitrary choice, but 12 issues or less, there's a self-contained story with the ending in mind. So we're not talking about books that started out and then got canceled after eight issues. We're talking about books that were designed to be a self-contained story that are largely outside of canon and not tied to another book specifically. So yeah, that is kind of an arbitrary definition, but it's one we're going to go with and maybe down the road we'll have a larger discussion about the other topics. So I will, maybe I should just open up the floor and say, you know, what purpose do miniseries serve these days? Or what are examples of miniseries that we've read recently? So, Kate, Nick, do you have any thoughts to right off the bat? I'll throw this to Nick immediately, because Nick's the guy here who reads like <laughs> seven miniseries at a time all the time. So, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Paul, what you got at at first, it, it is worth like briefly, you know, discussing, which is the idea that, yeah, like, the purpose of the miniseries seems to have sort of changed. Like the old traditional miniseries was like self-contained, usually not relevant to canon, usually had nothing really that came before it that you had to read, usually had nothing that came after it that you had to read. Um, and that was it. Uh, and in a lot of ways, I think um, if it wasn't for the whole idea that we have the current marketing, you know, setup that we do for comics these things would have been ogns really yeah um yeah i think on a very practical level that's why a lot of them exist are they just serialized graphic novels yeah and i feel like you don't you don't see as many of what do you want to call them old school miniseries pure miniseries pure pure sounds loaded nick don't use pure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> old timey old timey uh. miniseries anymore you don't see as many and when you do they're sort of rare in fact i think a lot of times as rare as ogns are now like mm-hmm. those are like the only true the only old school miniseries anymore like that weird remember that black canary zatanna one that they had not that long ago the i think yeah. it was paul Dini and joe i think joe kionez or joe caseta mm-hmm. it must have been kionez caseta is like what the number two at marvel or something so clearly yeah, it wasn't yeah, yeah. him anyway um so that's how they used to work i think these days the miniseries has sort of changed and i think the the large majority of the ones that we're going to be discussing now um really fall into this category um which is the miniseries that can have stuff that comes after or before uh it can be relevant to canon uh it can play into um, events or or large scale happenings within within a overarching universe, 
Um, and I think that I think that these really work. And and Kate's right. I do read a lot of these ones, uh, and and that's because there are a ton of pros. Um, not actual like P R O S E. I mean, some of them have a lot of any. You see my point, okay? Words are tough, <laughs> and they have a lot of positives. There we go. That's the word I should have been using. Um, <laughs> that really uh, in, endear themselves to me. I, I think one of the biggest ones, of course, is that um, y- you largely know when they're going to begin, and you know when they're going to end, and that does a whole bunch of things in its own right, in terms of, um, some sorts of economic self-control, uh, it definitely brings those to the table, in terms of quality control for the team, um, frequently that, that assists in that department as well, um, and it really just, gives the reader uh, just a broader big picture perspective of what's coming up what they can expect um when you're reading a mini series you start to visualize or anticipate story beats differently than you do with an ongoing at least for me like when mm-hmm. when i'm reading a mini series and i'm on issue 9 out of 10 you know you think differently than when you're when you're reading an ongoing you start to um, you know, anticipate or, or try to predict things, but I also realize that that's something I'm prone to try to do with, with all of my books, so that might just be more of that's, a me that's thing. That's a normal part of reading. Yeah. If you hearken back to middle school, that's one of the, what was it, 14 reading keys is, <laughs> you know, <laughs> predicting what will happen. But yeah, <laughs> I think that, that for me is a big part of it, that what makes me like it is I like knowing, okay, what I'm getting on board with, how I can add up the total cost of getting up on board. I can know when right. it's going to end and it'll self-end so I don't have to make that you know gut-wrenching decision of what to take off my pull to add new stuff. Um, it really solves that problem for you. And I think... Like, like you're saying, like so many of these are basically graphic novels. They're serialized for the point of, you know, economics. That's how the industry how the is set up. Organized, yeah. yeah. But yeah. It, it, they work so well that I feel like more and more publishers are moving more and more stuff to them. Um, like Valiant, like you're saying, does tons of them. I feel like Image is doing more of these, um, or what they're calling series of, like Huck is yeah. a, a series of mini-series so it's the planned story is three separate mini-series and so they're not labeled volume one volume two they're like book one book two so it's basically what they really want is a series of graphic novels but Mm -hmm. we're not going to do that we have to serialize it so now it's a series of mini-series but at the end of the day i feel like ultimately i do end up Waiting, trade waiting most of these and reading them in trade and I'm wondering if that's true for you guys I think there's only one offhand besides the mm-hmm. two I'm currently pulling in in the last few years there's only one that I've read in uh, singles yeah I I definitely find myself uh waiting for trades of miniseries you know and that's a purely economic decision it's uh, I could either buy you know the individual comics four dollars a piece or I could wait and get it hopefully a little bit cheaper as a collected edition down the road which, right, that that and they often read better as a collected edition. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're talking about this idea of the you know serialization of a story, how it's a predictable. You hit hit, hit certain story beats as it goes on, and I think that's just the way that comic books have been written forever. Mm-hmm. So that's just the way that they function. So it makes sense, you know, for you to publish them as a miniseries and then collect them, and even. 
you know, a, a number of these miniseries I've read only as a collected edition, not as individual issues, you can just see the story beats coming. You know when the issue ended. Even if they don't put the cover between there or there's no attempt mm-hmm. to break it up. Which I hate when they do that. The don't do that. Beat. Everyone who's listening, don't <laughs> stop doing that. Put the covers in. Put the covers oh, yeah, in. Ab- you, don't please, be literary. Put, covers, put yes. them in. Because <laughs> um, that's just the way I, I enjoy reading comics. I, yeah. I don't trade weight for ongoing series just because I enjoy that experience. But sometimes, like you said, the miniseries read better as a collection because it's designed to be a self-contained story see i trade weight for a ton of the books i read so i like basically almost all the image books i read i trade weight so i i am prone to that but i see minis are nice because i really like especially for recommending to people too it's like here here's this thing i'm gonna for your birthday i'm buying you the complete thing there's nothing else Mm -hmm. to worry about like it's so much less intimidating um if even if it's part of a franchise, like for Nick, your Alien mini series, but like, like Vote Loki is definitely part of the Marvel universe and everything, but it's small enough and self-contained enough that you don't need to know all that stuff at all. Like, yeah. it, it's it you don't need it. So, I really like that element of it. I really like. I feel like oftentimes you get much stronger writing when there's a set end point in sight um (laughs) and you have a more consistent story arc and all that stuff as opposed to with ongoings where you'll see them get canceled and then every loose end gets tied up in like two issues or doesn't get tied up and you're just left really sad and alone in the world um (laughs) and so like i've had some instances where so i feel like just like a really good novel the miniseries to me that stand out as being really good are the ones that left me wanting more and wishing it wasn't a miniseries but of course when you actually get more like we had that happen with faith where they turned it into an ongoing you realize why the mini's so perfect because leaving you wanting more is that whole perfect like it never went on long enough to not be good anymore or to be redundant or to have some creator change that screwed things up like it stayed precious. It, it died young and beautiful. <laughs> so <laughs> that is a really good example. Faith, the miniseries is pretty much perfect, and I just never clicked with the ongoing. So. No, I tried two full yeah. arcs of the ongoing, and I was just like, it. It works so nicely as a mini, and I, I was yeah. so excited when they said, "Oh, ongoing." I'm like, yay, because you know, you, it was that thing where you you're left wanting more, but then when you get more, you're like, did we really want this? I don't know. Some people <laughs> certainly did. I think it's still doing pretty well. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting because I I think that we mentioned the market changing. I read a lot of DC stuff from the 80s. That's kind of my my favorite thing to just, you know, I mentioned all the time, dig through the dollar bins, find random stuff. And I find a lot of miniseries that way. And even just flipping through those books, every other ad, house, uh, like in-house ad for DC was advertising a miniseries. I just feel like in the 80s and 90s, they did a ton of miniseries and they were always weird characters. You'd have (laughs) like a Shadow miniseries or a Blackhawks miniseries or something out of continuity, which makes sense because they probably couldn't sustain an ongoing book. We had creators that wanted to tell those stories with these old characters. The other examples that reminds me of of Marvel right now with the Star Wars books. Yeah, where you have like the miniseries for Chewbacca and Princess Leia and stuff, and like I I would not sign on for a Chewbacca ongoing, but the miniseries (laughs) was delightful. (laughs) Yeah, sometimes you just need a short story, right? Yeah, and the other the other things I noticed a lot in those old comics is that they would do miniseries 
as like I feel like they're almost like test runs for ongoings. So you yeah. could do like a four mm-hmm. issue Doctor Fate series. Maybe there hasn't been a Doctor Fate comic for a while. We do a four issue Doctor Fate series or Mister Miracle series. These sort of obscure characters, and if it clicks, then you can justify an ongoing. And I just think the market has changed so much now where that's not even an issue. Uh, you could just Marvel does this all the time, right? Where they start an ongoing series and if it doesn't sell, they just cancel it. If it's not even yeah. an attempt to, uh, you know, test the market as it were. Yeah. I, I or think they just one renumber thing- it. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, I have to say, I think one of the things that I do really enjoy about, and we talked about this briefly, like the modern mini uh, frequently can be just a mini series that's actually followed by another mini series of right. the same name, but. There's a lot of pacing involved there. For example, I know Valiant has said a lot of times, um, you know, sometimes people want to know, well, where'd this character go? Where'd that character go? You know, this story wrapped up and, you know, what's next? And with the miniseries, they're sort of in a position where, as, as they've put it, you know, if, if we have a story for a character and we want to tell it, um, then we can start. And, and if we feel that we're not in a position where we have a good story to tell or one that we're not excited about or something different, um, then we aren't compelled to continue, you know, putting stuff out because, you know, we're not an ongoing. We're, we're just a mini. So when we're yeah. done, we're done. And one of sort of what I feel to be one of the lesser heralded sort of um, positive attributes of the mini is that I think sometimes that space between like the first mini and the second for example like divinity one and two or 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 something like that uh sort of allows for the book to sort of pivot or change gears for the next one and even maybe Mm -hmm. it sort of happens in the reader's mind as well whereas with like an ongoing you sort of have to you get to see how the sausage is made when the book tries to pivot or when the book tries to, you know, switch things up or change gears. And, you know, all of a sudden for yeah. an issue or two, you start to see all of the gears moving and everything falling into place for the next, you know, the next uh, series. Um, so you have this you know, one or two not so great kind of uglyish issues that are maybe not the most perfect segue. Whereas with like a mini sort of like, you know, you, you wait half a year for the next one and then the next mini starts and time has passed and the mini sort of is like, all right, well, you sort of remember this happened last time and, you know, maybe a year has happened since then. So as as time Sometimes as time passes for for the reader, you know, time passes within the book and it's sort of just this weird transit it's 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 hard to enunciate but there's sort of this more <laughs> natural pacing for the book to to just hard shift if it needs to you are so spot on that is exactly how i feel about the serenity comics that are they're all individual mini series that then like you could unlike an ongoing where you're like well what's the difference between a series of mini series and a series of story arcs in an ongoing and I'm like well if you pick right. up volume 3 of an ongoing there are exceptions to the rule, but for the most part, you'd be completely lost. Whereas with these, I'm like, any individual one, yeah, there might be a certain thing that you're like, since when did they have a baby? But otherwise, it's like, you have your complete thing right there, and you can... I'm pretty sure, actually, I read those out of order, but... Sorry. (laughs) What were you going to say, Paul? Well, it's interesting because I there's a weird distinction going on here where we're talking about these self-contained stories for a miniseries... But I feel like a lot of the market is sort of designed toward these sort of short six-issue runs and then a break and then six issues and then a break. A lot of comic creators talk in terms of seasons now 
right? Mm. So you talk about season one of this book. So it's like, it's the mentality of a miniseries, even though it's an ongoing. And I think Image does that really well. But I, I want to suggest maybe that Marvel should just switch to doing just miniseries. If you're going to reboot a book after issue 11 every yeah. time, just make it, you know, and it's just, instead of just renumbering the book to different volumes, just tack on an extra name to it. So you could do, you know, Iron Man, you know, season one, and it's yeah, 12 issues. Exactly. Stop. New creative team, season two. I just feel that based on the popularity of trades and OGNs, that's the way people want to buy and read comics is these collected sort of self-contained quote-unquote mm-hmm. seasons or volumes. Yeah, I would be on board for that. I, I will say I think one of the differences between, um, and I think this is important to note, uh, between image and miniseries, because I think a lot of people uh, draw a comparison there uh, in, in terms of how they work. Uh, and in some ways, it, they're definitely similar. Uh, but I think the one thing that a miniseries does well, that image perhaps does not, is when a miniseries ends, like, I don't know, Briggsland, for example, recent Dark Horse one, six issues, it's done. Uh, when it's done, you're like, all right, that's wrapped. Maybe we'll get another one at some point, but for now, it's done. Like, effectively, you know, we're, we're, <laughs> we're, we're set. Whereas with Image, there's this whole confusing, stupid situation every single time that... Um, Every single time that uh, a, a, an arc wraps and you go, okay, um, especially depending upon how it ends, and you go, all right, um, is the book done? Like, is it canceled? Is it coming back? <laughs> <laughs> What's going on? Right. I'm still waiting for Bitch Planet Volume 2, so... <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, so, I mean, there's a t- distinction between a, a planned break and one that just sort of happens when a book just falls behind. Yeah. You know, one example yeah. one example from Image, though, that I just thought of was this Witch Doctor, which, of course, right. I'm blanking on the creator's names, so someone have to look it up. But um, That's like they Jordan's had one, favorite book. <laughs> it's a fantastic book, and there's just been two volumes, and it's like the first volume was Witch Doctor, I think it was like maybe four or five issues, and then like a year or two later, it came back as Witch Doctor colon malpractice, and that ran for six issues. So <laughs> even though it was an ongoing sort of story with the characters, you could easily read the two stories separately. Yeah. And it was billed as two different volumes. So it's that's a smart way to do it. So it's not really an a series of ongoings as mm-hmm. we've been talking about. It actually is two different volumes. Yeah. That stand alone. That's what that see and again that's like how the Serenity books are. It's like it's ongoing but it's standalone, which seems oxymoron, but it's not. And comics are weird guys. Um so okay, what's your favorite miniseries? <laughs> oh man, jeez! I mean, I can give Jeopardy you a few, but definitely in terms of like favorite, I mean, d- definitely one of my favorites is is Wild's End uh, from Boom. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, that is such. It is basically Wind in the Willows meets War of the Worlds, and <laughs> so anthropomorphized wow. okay. uh, um, animals. It is War of the Worlds, isn't it? Basically. Aliens. It's yeah. basically War of the Worlds, uh, and it's fantastic. It's by Dan Abnett uh, with, I think it's I.N.J. Culbert on art. And as I was talking about earlier, that sort of nice ability of a miniseries to take time off and maybe also kind of pivot the book um, happens really, really well with this 
for some reason I cannot think of the name of the second arc, um, but it is less about the alien invasion itself, and it's more about, um, in a kind of a creepy foreboding way, kind of putting all of these different animals into camps and trying to figure out who, you know, who's the collaborator or who's working with the aliens or, you know, could the aliens take, you know, uh, you know, their form, things like that. Uh, so uh, just an interesting shift. And it's the sort of thing that I think is more easily done in a mini than it is in an ongoing where it's like, well, let's just try to pivot this. Are we talking, is this book actually have a, a uh, self-contained ending? Because that's the kind of the definition we're running with. It does appear to be a series of mini-series, um, although, again, it is kind of hard to tell if and when it's going to be thoroughly done. It seems like after the second one that there might be more, but we don't we don't know. But like I said, the the luxury okay. of what I really like from strictly even from like a really like meta comic standpoint is that I know that and most shops are this way, but not all. I know that if there's another one, it won't necessarily be added to my pull until I ask for mm -hmm. it, as opposed to sure. Image, where it's like, hey, guess what? I was gone for 48 months, but I'm back now. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> what are you doing on my pull again? <laughs> go away. Like a ghost uh, so, haunting you. Yeah. I'm back. Go, go, <laughs> go away. They're not like us. You were gone for like a year. Jesus. Um but yeah, uh, another big one for me would definitely be uh, The Valiant by Matt Kent and Jeff Lemire writing and Paola Rivera on art. Um, it was definitely one of the first big steps towards Valiant being like, we are going to get some majorly big names. We are going to actually attempt to do a real entry point for this series. We're going to bring on a huge artist in Paola Rivera. Uh, and we're going to tell a very self-contained book that's going to attempt to try to really introduce uh, everybody and kind of give a big picture scope and scale of the Valiant universe on the whole. Uh, and it was really ambitious, but it was a really, in my opinion, like a carefully calculated move to try to get new readers, um, as well <laughs> as try to appeal to old ones and sort of set the stage for Valiant kind of saying, like, I know we've been an upstart up to this point, but we're we're pretty serious, and, and if you wanted a new, like, if you wanted an opportunity to try Valiant, uh, this would be a good one, even though <laughs> people, Kate included, and I can see why in some ways, have said maybe it's not yeah. the best <laughs> starting point. <laughs> uh, for more on that, check out our mini-sode. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, uh, there's more proof of this. It's um, me. The whole thing is me going, I don't know, Nick. <laughs> Who's this guy? What's this guy about? Did you read the book? Yeah, I read the book. My, I'm still My favorite confused. thing is like, there's only this one female, and you're like, what about this one? She's a girl. I'm like, since when? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. Okay. Well, how about you, Paul? Um, well, I have a few here that I want to run through, and I kind of picked miniseries that I think serve different purposes, okay. so different examples of how miniseries work. Uh, the first one I have here listed as one of my favorites, The Untold Legend of the Batman by Len Wein and Jim Aparo. This is the first Batman comic I remember reading. It's a four-issue miniseries that gives you the complete history of the pre-crisis Batman. All of the weirdness that happened in the 30s and 40s and the 50s, it's in this book, along with the 80s stuff. I think it came out uh, early 80s, and it was definitely reprinted when the uh, Tim Burton Batman movie came out, and I read it until the covers fell off of the issues I had. So uh, absolutely perfect story. An example of a miniseries that 
contains a ton of information and introduction to the character, you know, Batman. And there's a ton of history there, and it does a great job sort of containing it into one story. Um, Superman's Secret Identity by Kurt Busiek, art by Stuart Immonen. This is probably the best Superman story I've ever read. Again, four issues. Although this is a book that I read in trade format, not as individual issues, which is a little bit of a different experience, as we sort of said earlier. Um, and again, it's a Superman story that's outside of continuity. It's like a Superman story that's about the idea of Superman rather than just the character itself. So it's a great introduction to the character again. Uh, Cosmic Odyssey by Jim Starlin and Mike Mignola. I recommend this book to everybody. It's a four-issue sort of prestige for book that DC did in the 80s. It's Mike Mignola drawing the Justice League teaming up with the New Gods. It's one of the best non-Jack Kirby New Gods stories I've ever read. And the nice thing about this and a lot of miniseries from the 80s and 90s, you can find them the issues for dirt cheap at your local comic shop. Just dig through the back issue bins. You can find this probably more than not more than two bucks an issue. You can pick this whole thing up. Great story. Well, you had me at Mike Mignola interiors. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. I love when I can dig through bins and in one digging, get like a complete mini series like that's the best feeling to walk out the door with that yeah I've, I've done that a lot recently although most of the ones i found recently <laughs> are of like the star wars like i got the complete chewbacca and walked out with a dollar per issue okay. for that and what yeah, yeah. it's crazy nice. when that happens yeah <laughs> and just like this is beautiful thank you for over ordering so badly <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> and this, um, so real quickly, I just want to mention a more recent one that I absolutely loved, which is The Twilight Children by mm-hmm. Gilbert Hernandez and Darwin Cook, which, as far as like recent miniseries goes, probably the closest to that sort of prestige format miniseries format that DC did in the, in the 80s and 90s a lot. You know, we're, we're not talking about the two of the most famous miniseries of all time, which is Dark Knight Returns and Watchmen, right? Mm -hmm. Those are books that got collected, and everyone's probably read them in the collected versions. Twilight Children really felt like a prestige book that should have been published as an OGN, but instead DC published as a four-issue miniseries. And I kind of love that they did that, because it was a very unique reading experience to be reading these individual chapters month to month by these two comic book legends in Hernandez and Cook. I just kind of appreciate the fact that DC went that route. Said, "No, we're going to do it as a as a miniseries instead of an OGN." Well, hold on now, because you just said you like to trade weight a lot of miniseries. So, what made this one different? <laughs> so, yeah. So, thank you for bringing that up. So, the reason I wanted to read this individual issues was because of the creative team, okay. the idea that these two guys working together. Uh, I wanted the individual covers. I wanted the individual issues. It is that sort of weird collector mentality that I need these individual issues. And hey, I might buy the trade down the road as well, just because I have this sort of, uh, you know, strange impulse to do that with certain things. Yeah, I, I, I do have to admit, I think that book would have read slightly easier in trade. Um, sure. But I, I it was it was still really enjoyable. And of course, you know, given that I think it was probably I think Darwin, I think Darwin Cook's last work, of course, I think it holds, you know, an even more important yeah. place for people. Um, yeah. Of course, we. I, I don't think anyone. I don't think any of us knew knew of its importance at the time. But yeah, right. Yeah, and that's a, that was interesting too. It felt like an event even before you know what came after. It felt like an important event. Just the fact that the book was coming out and it was these two creators. So it was something I wanted to be a part of when it was coming out and not wait for. Um, and I guess one last example of a miniseries that 
is a recent example of something that was able to be a miniseries and sort of dovetail into an ongoing series in a weird way is Batman, the return of Bruce Wayne by Grant Morrison and various artists for each issue. That was a book that I wanted to read the issues when it was coming out because somehow the scheduling, the publication schedule issues of that book would be coming out in between Morrison's Batman and Robin book. And you would be getting part of a bigger story at the same time. You can certainly read Return of Bruce Wayne on its own and have it be an enjoyable story, but the fact that the individual issues are landing in between the monthly issues of the ongoing Batman and Robin book made for a very enjoyable sort of uh, mind-bending Grant Morrisonian reading experience. It kind of would have been sort of like a, like, here's what's happening in the present day, and then let's yep. let's flash back to Bruce Don't Wayne fighting that. his way through time. So that's, yeah, oh I, I, I can see how that, you know, is sort of just a natural week-to-week sort of, like, here's how here's how Bruce Wayne's son and, and Dick Grayson are handling being Robin. I mean, being, you know, <laughs> Batman and Robin. Meanwhile, yep. you know, let's check in with Bruce. Yeah, I can, yeah. That, that actually has a real just natural groove to it. I, I can mm-hmm. see how that yeah. would work. Um, that was yeah. a, it was a very, that, being in the moment, reading that month, week to week, month to month was something I've never experienced with any other comic series. So it was pretty, pretty amazing. I, I remember when Jordan explained that book to me and I was like, what in the ever loving hell is this book? Well, it's <laughs> Bruce Wayne and he's a pilgrim and he's fighting people through time. I'm like, all right. Okay. <laughs> sounds good. I mean, in the same oh, vein, yeah. for me at least, I would say like Grant Morrison's Batman Inc. Um, both of them, Volume One and yeah. Two, you know, both kind of fall into that. And that's just just classic Grant Morrison. Like, I think the miniseries is his new and maybe DC's only preferred way of having him like show up anymore. <laughs> is he like shows up, just breaks everything and leaves, and then just well, you know DC editorial yeah. comes out with the broom and mop, and it's like, all right, we better pick this up. <laughs> Yeah, I think that might be a discussion for another day because I definitely have some thoughts about the way Graham Morrison has used miniseries and yeah. as a meta narrative. Um, you know, Seven Soldiers of Victory was seven four issue miniseries that somehow tied together, even though the characters never appeared in the other issues of the other series. Uh, Final Crisis, for example, or uh, Multiversity was another great miniseries that it was a miniseries for a purpose and individual issues served a meta narrative purpose. So. That's something you can't pull off in an ongoing always. I think but, on the flip um, side, I think the mini I think you tend to find Grant Morrison's weirder and more fringe narratives tend to be the miniseries ones. Definitely. Definitely. So but that's uh, for better be and discussion for, worse. for Yeah. Yeah, that might be a discussion for another time. So um uh, Kate, do you have some examples you want to give us of your favorite miniseries? Well, yes, I do. And I also wanted to, like, not just fringe story ideas, but I've seen some that were really good that were, like, more fringe format ideas. So Spider-Woman, hmm. Agent of Sword, was a miniseries to try out motion comics for Marvel. And uh, I remember this, Yeah, yes. yeah. <laughs> and so uh, Brian Michael oh, Bendis and Alex Maleev did it. And at, when they're done, they're like, yeah, this was fun, but it is way too labor-intensive. <laughs> like, it's super <laughs> slow and... Uh, this and that, but it's gorgeous because Alex Maleev, you know, and that was a great story. And it's a mini that, again, is continuity. It's coming out of Secret Invasion and it's following her trying to reclaim her identity after being, you know, people think that she did all these horrible things, but actually it was the scroll. Um, but my all time favorite <laughs> miniseries, hands down, far and away, is I Kill Giants by Joe Kelly and uh, J.M. Ken Nimura. I'm gonna, I'm butchering that last name. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, but um, 
it is so perfect and it's the perfect example of that book that leaves you wanting more even though it's like a complete encapsulated story but you know that more isn't what you really want because it's so perfect exactly how it is and joe kelly has said that like he's gotten so many he's gotten money offers to do more and he's like no because this is exactly the story i wanted to tell and i told it and anything past that would not benefit it in any way that is that is a perfect comic i mean that is a perfect comic book (laughs) uh it's one that i've bought several times on amazon for various people because i'm like here here's my baby you're gonna love it Uh, you don't need to know anything (laughs) at all about anything it's so perfect uh here's some tissues to go with it and you're good (laughs) um the spire i literally just finished um we're reading it for the book of the month for the goodreads group for irish comics books and this is the Simon Spurrier book with uh, art by Jeff Stokely and colors by Andre May. And it's beautiful and perfect. And again, it's like the, the craftsmanship is so much cleaner and tighter when you have these series with the set end point that it's not that there's not some writers out there that can do that with an ongoing. I mean, there's some really talented people, obviously. But I th- feel like I see that more in these series where it's like, this is the exact thing and it feels more to me more more similar to a novel in that sense that like this is this was Mm -hmm. plotted out this was planned this was hashed over with an editor from start to finish before it was done like um and it's beautiful and it creates this whole world and all these problems and then you get your big conclusion and you're done um the serenity and then vote loki was great vote loki is the one that i've read in recent times i guess what miniseries are you guys currently reading? I know for me, I have hmm. Green Valley and 80 After Death are the two two that I'm currently pulling. Um, Let me see. <laughs> Nick's uh, like, let me list 30 <laughs> minis right now. Let me go through this <laughs> yeah. list. Um, I mean, right now, I think oddly enough, most of mine are largely wrapping, which is, you know, the benefit of these yeah, things. Exactly. Uh, Div- Divin- Divinity 3 just wrapped. Um, Aliens Defiance, I think, has two issues to go i think um if you want to talk about that weird overarching alien thing where it's like four connected miniseries aliens life and death um i guess that's like a mega event made up of miniseries that thing is one issue left and then that 17 issue experiment is done um gosh uh savage is done britannia's done um (laughs) although the new britannia is about to begin uh, yeah, I mean, really, a, a lot of mine are done, which is, you know, the 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 big benefit of these things, yeah. I suppose. Um, yeah. How about the you? only real side effect with these things is that if you try one and you don't like it, and a lot of these things are four issues, like you read issue one, you decide you don't like it. By most shop standards, you're gonna have to eat issues two and three anyway. Uh, so the if you decide you don't like a miniseries, you're just just you're gonna buy the whole thing basically anyway that's kind of the flip side of it well, so only if you hmm. would put it on your pull i mean i yeah. i am not yeah, that, I, I, get, I don't I usually order things pat like unless it's something i'm real positive positive that i know i'm gonna love i'll only put the first issue on my pull list and then read that and then decide if i want the other ones from there like to continue on 
Sure, sure. Yeah, I, I guess that might be a smart thing to do. <laughs> Unless, of course, you want to, um, like, support creators like, like I do. And, um, no, I'm just, I'm oh, Jeez, dude. <laughs> Unless, like, you want people to eat, in which case, I you know, the, Team Nick. The, team Nick. The only reason to order that far ahead, like, for a book, would be, like, if you don't think your shop will get it otherwise, in which case, yeah. Right. Yeah. True. Yeah. Hmm. What about you, Paul? Are you, are you currently reading any? Um, well, Commandy Challenge, which is a twelve issue. Oh maxi yeah, series, I, guess I guess that guess. counts. So, yeah, reading that, uh, which is a, but is a very strange example of that, where it is multiple creative teams and it, the story's sort of not uh, set in stone, so to speak. Anyway, um, also reading Dark Knight Three: The Master Race, which I should have trade weighted or just skipped altogether because uh, it's not very good. Uh, Isn't but that's that wrapping done? Up in one, issue. one more issue of that. What? So. When did that start, Paul? 2015? <laughs> 2014? Probably. Probably. Good God. <laughs> I said there's one more issue, which hopefully we see by the end of the year. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, my God. Yeah, let this be said, okay? Miniseries tend to show up on time. I think that's one of the big benefits of a miniseries is usually yeah. the whole. a lot of times the whole thing is at least written and a lot of it is drawn before you even see issue one. And that's the benefit of a miniseries. But that's not mm-hmm. always the freaking case. And Mike loves it when I bring up this book. So <laughs> here we go again, Mike. I bet you didn't think this was going to come up. Sandman overture here we are (laughs) how long can it take to put out six issues that's a great question sometimes i think it can span three years um i believe yeah here we are sandman overture ran from 2013 to 2015 there you go oh boy don't get me started on that one and I guess other than that, I just finished um, She-Wolf by Rich Tommaso, which was an eight-issue series. But that was also one that I feel like might have been an accidental miniseries. Probably was intended as an ongoing, but just ended. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that's all. I, like I said, I tend to uh, read ongoings and uh, usually trade weight for uh, most miniseries. There, there you go. I guess yeah. uh, you know different <laughs> different strokes for different folks. And uh, yeah, I think it's funny we yeah. all approach them diff- slightly differently, but. And I mean, part of it really is like depending upon what publishers you read, you're going to encounter minis more than than other publishers. That's very I think. true. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I guess uh, what we've discussed here today is that they do serve a purpose, but that purpose is different for different readers. So and different publishers. So miniseries are something that uh, I think are becoming more common, but for different reasons than they used to be. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the I Read Comic Books podcast. This episode was produced by me, Mike Rappin, with editing by Xander Riggs. Special thanks this week to Nick White, Paul Jaisley, and Kate Scotchless. The music in this episode is brought to you by our favorite band in the universe, Infinity Shred. You can find Infinity Shred at infinityshred.com, as well as on Bandcamp at infinityshred.bandcamp.com. If you enjoy this show, tell someone about it. Rate us online. Write to us. Each person you tell about the show and each rating you give lends a little more exposure to the show and helps us grow. We love five stars, we love you, you love five stars, and you love us, so go out there and rate us. You can email us at ircb at destroythesibe.org, and if you want to talk comics with us, find the I Read Comic Books group on Goodreads. We have a monthly book club that we feature here on the show, and we have regular threads about what comics we've been reading. 
You can ask us questions and comment on each episode at our subreddit, ireadcomicbooks.reddit.com. The entire podcast team is on Twitter, and you can follow the show at IRCB Podcast for updates and ridiculous retweets. But a great way to experience the podcast, including our back issue bin of episodes and our weekly pull list posting, is to find us on our website, ircb.us. Until next time, from all of us here at the show, thank you for listening. <laughs>